There will be a complete abandonment of normal programming. Give you any idea what you're getting yourself into, Daddy-o? My God, this is terrible. Let him have it, Chris! Let him have it, Chris. 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 There's a button and a switch for everything. What's that? You're listening to Aerial View, worldwide on the Internet. No tricks now, Chris. Yeah, what's gonna happen? What kind of radio show is this? I've heard his voice on the tape and it really put the hook in me. Many, many times. On both the right approach and the home service. Buddy, nice to stay in New Jersey and I don't care who you are. Chris, you get out of space. Let's talk. I'm sick of talking. You get out of here. I know how to talk to people. That's clear as a mother's open. I've got this man go on the air, deliver a coded message. Shut up, little man. You're out of your mind. I'm not out of my mind. Oh, come on. Now, we're going to listen to what he said on the air. Because all we're dealing with here, after all, is talk show time against a man's life. I don't see that as any argument. I can see you're really upset about this. Parlor, who's dead in grace? Chris, stand up and wiggle your hips for us. I know that guy. But we're dull and bored. He's a nihilist. And I'll smash your face for you, your blockers. Can't you stop, Dan? Stop it. Shut up. Conversation is a two-way street. I'm all broken. I don't get you. I don't get your act at all. And I don't think you do either. I don't think you know what you're trying to do or how to go about it. You're stupid. I heard it over the radio. Real stupid. I'm not just talking about one person. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. Do you understand? Finally! You will not take me off the air for now or for any other spaceless time. I'll pitch my voice wherever I please. I'm a famous radio I just hope this man realizes that being able to communicate with people all over the world carries a serious responsibility. Come on, baby. Show the man your power, baby. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! Oh, man. Showtime! Don't you smile and blow me a kiss for this one. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning. Yes. How many shots were fired? Three. Any of them fired at me? I know. All three at the president. All three at the president, and we have them. Two of the shots fired at the president were splinted, but they had characteristics on them so that our ballistic expert was able to prove that they were fired by this gun. 
Can you get a picture of him? Shoot. No, oh, no. There was no picture taken of him shooting. Order this picture to tell us over $25. Hey, it's me, Chris T., on this aerial view, this one titled JFK and JAF. We all know who JFK is, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, who was assassinated in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963, at approximately 1.30 Dallas time. I've been fascinated by the assassination for many years now. I've done a lot of aerial view shows examining the assassination, but I had the unique opportunity to visit the grassy knoll with my friend, the musician and writer, Josh Allen Friedman. Josh Allen Friedman, who you know and love from such books as Tales of Times Square, a cult classic, Tell the Truth Until They Bleed, Coming Clean in the Dirty World of Blues and Rock and Roll, also When Sex Was Dirty, I Goldstein and My Screwed Life with Al Goldstein, We traveled over to the grassy knoll and parked and talked about JFK and Jack Ruby and many other things. Here is Josh Allen Friedman and myself in Dallas at the grassy knoll. Well, here's just about it. Um, Yeah, it looks like we can get a parking meter, maybe. Let's do that. I don't know if you're allowed to park here until what time. 7 to 9, 4 to 6 p.m. Can't park, so after 6 p.m. you should be able to After 6? So we can maybe park right here at the actual knoll. Here's the sixth floor. The guy who runs the museum just died about six weeks ago. Oh, really? Uh, who was considered... Who was considered the... Um, Probably the, uh, certainly in Texas, the top JFK assassination expert in all of Texas, if not the world. I don't know what his name was, a guy, uh, I forget what his name was, but he had been running the assassination museum. He uh, just died in uh, uh, about, I think in July of 2015. Um, I've been there twice to the museum. It's, um, It's a very somber place. They they uh, they try to really uh, stay away from the idea of conspiracy altogether. You know they uh, they don't sensationalize. It's it's you know serious approach to the whole topic. Right. And uh, and the best part is to see the sniper's nest. That's really what you're paying for, right? See the sniper's nest. Um, and the scale model. I think they've removed the the boxes and stuff from. Well, they it's somewhat that it's behind glass now. I think, and yeah. you used to be able to. I remember, like when I first moved to Dallas um, in the late '80s, or when they first opened it for some kind of public viewing. It may have even been before the museum. You could actually you could sit right on the spot. Open, no glass, no no chains, no. I don't even think there was an admission or anything. It was just a public. Just go in and see. You could the go site. in and and they they did keep it. Looking like it supposedly it looked in 1963. Yeah, and they did have the same arrangement of boxes, but you could sit right there, right at the window. I don't know if you can do that now. No, it's yeah, they, they you could stand next to it because it's all plexiglassed off. Okay, it's and, you there know, was no plexiglass right uh, 20 years ago. No, the last time I was up there, they they did not want. So it was a chilling feeling the first time to go up and sit right on the stu- or on, on the sniper's perch. Yeah, you know, right there at the window and looking course everybody would go up there and pretend they were aiming a rifle you know 
which is the like the the um, what we always see in Dallas or the you know the they should have the statue of the pointing tourist, which would be outside that's uh, on, on Houston Street. Um, or they call it Houston here. We say mm-hmm. Houston in New York, right? Houston Street <laughs> from New York and out. Uh, the pointing tourist, which is you'd always see a tourist pointing up to the sixth floor from out on the grassy knoll area. Uh, when I was, uh, you know, every, every time I've been in Dallas, I end up here somehow, and it's always, uh, it's never planned. It's always something that just happens. You'll be in a cab, whatever, and the next thing you know, you're driving down Elm Street, you know, and and it and it's invariable that you see someone. Uh, stepping into the <laughs> into the street, looking for evidence. Well, well, they're looking at the X's on the roadway. They 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 uh, they put X's on the roadway where the headshots occurred. So they're well, people see, will want to take pictures. We we could you know you could see them. Yeah, I guess I've passed them a thousand times. Right, the X's. I thought they were cr- traffic st- X's. No, I think they're for when you're up there in the sixth floor museum and you look out the window and you go, X oh marks yeah, the spot. X marks the spot exactly. So you don't have to take out your measuring tape, and, and uh, it's in other words saving millions of people time and trying to. Uh, Did I read one time it was eighty-eight yards? I think from the uh, from well, the window. You, see, you to know the, though that kind of information. I, I, I know. I don't know I, that. I'm not like a conspiracy buff. I just know of a thing or two about it. And to me, the most fascinating knowledge about this particular area is how the people of Dallas wanted it torn out. They wanted that building torn down. They wanted this whole area reconfigured, which was. Uh, the WPA, the Works Progress Administration, you know, that famous was there structure in... that Abraham Zapruder stood on. That's a that's a WPA project. Uh, so this whole area, they wanted it reconfigured so it didn't look the same anymore. They wanted, well, they they re- wanted the stain the traffic taken goes out. in a different uh, direction is yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, but oh. but I, I find it fascinating that this all could have been lost to history. It could have been just something that was bulldozed over because of the outrage of what had happened in Dallas. Well, what would it be like if it had been torn down like most of the We wouldn't be sitting here in a car right We wouldn't be here, or there would be some (laughs) X somewhere saying, this is the location here at this Burger King where... well, at the risk of being perverse, wouldn't have Dallas lost out on a lot of tourist dollars? I mean, how many people come here every year to do this? Well, millions of people have come over the years. Millions and millions of people come over the years to stop Right. Need to see this location. It's you know. It's a it's, pilgrimage. Printed into everybody's history. You know this yeah. location. Look, I mean, there's so, people there right now. There's people trudging around right there's now. There's always who, somebody there who are um, here just to see this. So there's always somebody there. Um, although there have been a few times I've come at three in the morning to just kind of hang, take a look by myself, and kind of meditate on the whole thing. Just well, to, and when you, there's when not you, a soul here. Uh, when, I, when I first moved here, in the, you know, twenty over twenty five years ago, I remember coming a few times by myself, when, just to have it all to myself. And what were you meditating on? I mean, what what kind of thoughts were you having about? Uh, it all? Thinking of of myself as a second grader in an all black school when the when the uh, intercom came on, mm-hmm. and trying to put myself back. In t- you know, I, I try and travel back in time mentally by go, going into a trance sometimes. I remember in Black Cracker you, you make reference to that. Is that the... It's in there. Yeah. So was it's this in a, there. W- were you coming so, down here to do a little bit of research for yourself? And, no. Uh, that, uh, not... N- well, maybe. Uh, yeah. But not, not consciously. Um, but obviously when you move here... I mean, for, the first few times I went out to hang out at the... Uh, at the grassy knoll, I got the wrong knoll, and I was hanging out at, at City Hall, thinking this is it was more magnificent. 
archway and you, uh, you know a, a huge um, majestic like Roman Empire kind of spot and I somehow somebody had told me that's where it was and I said what a great place to die and wow this is fantastic and then I found out after a month I'd been going to the wrong assassination do you, spot do you think they sent you there on purpose when like when New Yorkers kind of sent Maybe. people in the wrong direction just for a while somehow I got hip to the wrong <laughs> the wrong spot where oh Kennedy God. got killed and was kind of meditating there by mistake but then I quit you know ultimately somebody said no 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 it's uh, down, down you know it, it's over here where we're sitting right now there's and a marker there now it's not very now. impressive yeah. as a, as, it's not like you're coming to the some great spot in civilization you know like the Trompelier you know like like uh, no uh, in, in Paris or something it's a it's a modest uh, street and a modest building uh, but and that's yet, that's somehow the power of the whole thing is just how plain it is. I mean that this is where it's plain the most famous assassination of all time played out. You know, it's I think that's the and just how how many stories and books and you know films have come out of this whole thing that this you know and and even the grassy knoll. I, when I first came to Dallas, there wasn't a marker there. Now there's a marker there. There's historical things that tell you about Abraham Zapruder and there's you know there's definitely well, they, an effort they to, certainly didn't want like you said they were the the shame and that it happened in Dallas and yeah. the, and the, uh, uh, the the tragedy having occurred here still hasn't uh, and for many years yeah they did resist having the citizens of Dallas would have preferred to have it all go away but uh, history won out mm. um, and tourism <laughs> One out, one out, and and people uh, people took the reins with turning the books the book depository into mu- into a museum. You know, uh, like I say, Chris, you know a lot more about this than I do. Um, uh, the Philip Johnson tribute to JFK is two blocks away, which is very nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's commemorating like a big that rectangle here. It's a rectangle, yeah. but there's something kind of chilling about it when yeah. you walk into it. And um, the grassy knoll. What the hell? I still don't know what a knoll is. Does every city? Does New York have a grassy knoll? Uh, New York has has knolls. I don't know if they've been called grassy knolls. I've never known of a knoll anywhere. Maybe it sounds like something in Ireland. Maybe doesn't that sound like one of those things that must have slipped out from a newscaster's mouth and then it became the thing to call it? You know, right. Yeah, it would have been a news story description of that little block of grass. Right. To call it what else but a knoll. It yeah. could have been just as well. They could have called it the gra- the, the the grassy triangle, the lawn, the grassy, or the grassy lawn. lawn. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It was, I, or I the don't slope, think the grassy slope. It I could have been. Do not think it was officially known throughout Dallas as being. Oh, the grass, the grassy knoll. You must take a look some sometime no. when you visit us. And, no. Uh, I'll meet you on the knoll. You know, the grassy one. <laughs> You know, uh, it was only after the assassination that it became the grassy knoll, I think. Yeah, I uh, I think so too. And you know, the thing about it too is uh, you can uh, you can go behind the fence where supposedly the second shooter or the third shooter, depending on how many shooters you think there were, and you could see that view as well. You know, you can t- take that view. You could take the view from the sixth floor uh, of the Texas School Book Depository build- Building, as it was known. Now the six, it's uh, what's called the six sixth floor museum. museum. But are there uh, other businesses in there as well? Are there commercial businesses think, in that building? I think so. It's not all turned over to history, right? You know, I don't know. Yeah. It's a very well kept building now. It's been re renovated. 
right. significantly since I moved here when it became the museum. And then little by little kept building and building. They have conferences there. Um, uh, it is a, a anything that saves an old building, you know, architecture from the mid 20th century, uh, early 20th century, I'm in favor of saving whatever you can because you don't get anything like that built today. It's always glass. Yeah. And, and concrete and uh, steel and glass and its ugliness because the, uh, the old world European stonemasons don't exist anymore. They no. Were all, all the buildings in New York that are pre-war that yeah. still exist were made by European stonemasons from when stone was available and, and when masters of carving were around. That's not done today. It would cost billions of dollars, but... Um, you know, they had the 50th anniversary, what, just a couple of years ago, right? Was it two years ago? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's 52 so years as of this mo that, as of no coming this November. And I, this I've, I've been frame. seeing you in Dallas every year since, I don't know, 2006. We, we get together. Yeah. So what was the 50th thing like? Was it just pandemonium Big, in Dallas? Did you want to get out of pandemonium. No, but there was a huge, um, uh, there were events yeah. down here, uh, and there was a huge, uh, gathering where the streets were closed off I believe mm. for that day and uh, speeches were made and um, conspiracy theorists uh, had had meetings at the museum and I guess the museum took the lead on it but it was a big event in Dallas that was two right. years ago uh, let's talk about someone you've written about namely Jack Ruby because uh, one time when I was here you took me to his Italian restaurant where he used to go which and is still there. It's still you know, there. Uh, that's and I remember you saying, campesies. you're not going there for the food. You made a point of saying, you know, we're not coming it, here for the food. It gets me by as an old New Yorker, ex-New Yorker. <laughs> it gets me by. It's 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 <laughs> down-home kind of right. funky, red sauce, working-class Italian yeah, food. Yeah, it was serviceable uh, Italian food. And, and perfectly serviceable for Dallas. Right, right. But uh, is it still in the same family as yes, owned it when same he was family, going there? Fourth, up to the fourth or fifth generation by now. Yeah, yeah. And you still get out there every once in a it, while? Uh, oh, once, once or twice a month at least. On yeah. Campesies because of the red, the booths, and, mm -hmm. and uh, it feels like being in New York. Yeah. You know, Campesies, and it, it's been there since uh, I think 1946. Yeah. They call it the Egyptian Room. <laughs> um, why I don't know. It's you know it just became the name the Egy Campisi's Egyptian Room, but it's an Italian restaurant. Yeah, uh, certainly Jack Ruby was a, uh, certainly a regular customer there. Yeah, and, and even when Sinatra would, whenever he would play Dallas, would always stop in there. And, uh, and any Italian American hero coming through Dallas, it was standard procedure. They stop at Campisi's. So what do you find most fascinating about Jack Ruby? I mean, was it the strip club owner angle? Was it the Jewish angle? Was it the Avenger of Jackie Onassis angle? I don't find him that fascinating, mm -hmm. that fascinating particularly. There's a lot more people who would find him more. He's not He's not the most fascinating person in history mm -hmm. or anything. But what was interesting to me at the moment is... Um, uh, Originally, a piece I did, I guess it would have been 1990 for Hustler. Mm -hmm. And it's been reprinted in 20 places. Yeah. I never thought it was that great a piece. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really shine any new light on anything particularly. But it was to be, um, let's see who's still alive on Jack Ruby's 80th, what would have been his 
90th birthday, his 80th birthday. Mm-hmm. I guess it would have been his 80th birthday if he had lived. Let's see who's still alive, who knew him, any of the girls and strippers, and do a roundtable talk. And it was mm. going to be for Hustler magazine. And in all of my legwork, leg I couldn't find one stripper in, in the year 1990 who was alive. And there were a few around Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, Candy Barr, for instance, supposedly never worked for Jack Ruby ever. She worked at the Colony Club across the street. Uh, for Abe Weinstein, a much classier place. Yeah, uh, she may have snuck into Jack Ruby's places. What was uh, his place called? Well, he had the Carousel Club mm-hmm. there on on uh, downtown. Back then, all all of this is torn down. But he had in the late fifties, he had had R and B places where he employed R and B musicians and had strippers, like joints, mm-hmm. a few of them before the Carousel Club, and she. Candy bar may have come down, but she anyway. She wasn't going to be part of the round table anyway. Um, I found almost no one who worked for him. They were dead or disappeared, as many strippers tend to be. From do you find not many of them make it into their sixties, seventies, eighties? Well, it, it, it turns out some of them do, yeah. but they become they're living in some small town in total an- anonymity. Yeah, and maybe somebody outs them as. Some old lady who once worked for Jack Ruby. Yeah. I couldn't find them, but I did find 25 people who knew Jack Ruby well, who were still alive, and interviewed them. Yeah, and that was in 1990. Uh, uh, sheriff deputies, guards who had been at his, guarded him at prison, some people who had never even spoke to, about him before, who knew him pretty well and had his name in their phone books. So I got a lot of good memories, quotes for whatever it was worth. Yeah. At that time, yeah, and that's did, my the extent of my my knowledge of, of Jack Ruby. Um, no, but I, I, the interesting thing about Jack Ruby, of course, is he's the guy that that brings the word conspiracy to the fore because without him killing Lee Harvey Oswald, right. you don't have the whole thing growing up about. Oh, how, he's a huge cog you know, in the in the machinery of the whole assassination. Yeah, uh, lore. Right. Oh, yeah, he's a huge figure for the because of that, and. To writers, he always was appealing to writers, I think, because, you know, it's this fat, bald Jew <laughs> who was a tough guy and a sort of semi-gangster, yeah. you know, who who was desperate for any kind of legitimacy or to be taken seriously and couldn't be in any of the... I, how many guys have I known like that in Times Square? You know, and the highest up they could get in showbiz would be, you know, some cheap strip club or burlesque joint. Where a lot you know, of cops hung out, right? I mean, that was a, the place that the cops went to, and I'm so sure the they cops were, knew him, which is how he was oh, able yeah, to get into the. He knew all the cops. He'd bring them sandwiches down to police headquarters. Right. Um, everybody knows that. He he knew all the restaurant owners. Uh, uh, he was sorry, he was familiar to everyone on the streets at that time. Of course, he was able to walk right into the courthouse, which we're a block away from right now, when he did the his the. The thing, the reason that we know his name, he um, shot Oswald on live TV. Uh, and therefore, he's a huge myth- mythical, legendary right. figure in the assassination lore. <laughs> but writers always found him this sleazy guy, you know, greasy, pinky ring, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, guy who who, who was a, a street fighter and, and uh, a tough guy running a cheap, a, a really... It was a dive, the Carousel Club. Um, 
the fact that he's so involved with the Prince of America, you know, the royal family of America, in this, he would be mentioned in the same breath as, as John F. Kennedy, you know, this uh, handsome royal president who we thought of, you know, the whole with the whole Camelot and, thing. And, and, and the, the idea dichotomy that dichotomy of that right. is so extraordinary. And, and then somehow it was this act of chivalry on his part. I mean, he did say, you know, he wanted to spare Jackie Fair from, Jacqueline from the, the, the trial and, and all the subsequent horror of having to relive it over and over again and so on. Right, so he... Um, <laughs> but nothing ever his, gets accepted at in face value. In with, his with head, he, uh, in right. a moment of insanity, in his head, he thought he was he was a hero, doing a heroic thing to just kill the man who wasn't even... You know, he didn't know about conspiracy theories or 50, right. 50 years of, of no, nobody knowing what, what happened. You know, he didn't... Obviously, he wasn't a Monday morning quarterback. It was right. just an act right. of passion that happened... Uh, Shoot the one man. What, what is it? What is it? Somebody. This fellow wants something. I'm not he sure wants what he money. Wants. What? Okay. Uh, just uh, he wants money. Oh, is that what so, he wants? Uh, which uh, I'd be glad to give him uh, if we weren't. I thought he wanted some information you. about the grassy knoll. Maybe he's I was carrying, like, he is was, carrying a Bible. I thought maybe he was going to say, "Do you know what the grassy knoll is?" Maybe he had the answer to everything that we. Maybe he was about to tell know. us what happened. But, but you know, so do you? I, I know we've talked about this before, but. Where do you stand on, on what happened that day? Are you someone who thinks there was a conspiracy? I'm not or? qualified to answer well, anything. Uh, Where I stand from the little that I... You know, I've read uh, a couple of books over mm-hmm. the years and, and you know, is, I'm just as interested as maybe a little more than the average man. Where I stand is that we will never know. Yeah. No matter what. If the... if uh, No matter what evidence is uncovered on the 100th anniversary... Or whatever was put into secret uh, archives that can't be opened until seventy-five years after. I, know uh, I think still, that's what it was. Yeah. There's still some things we're not supposed to know. Even if that comes out, we're still not going to know. The only, you know, it's like you can't do a, um, a DNA test, mm-hmm. and like like with uh, uh, President Harding's uh, child, that they love child, the love child. They, they just proved for the first time in right. 80, 80 years. There's no DNA test that's scientifically going to prove who 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 uh, was behind the shooting. So, um, how could we ever know? No matter what evidence is, no matter what proof is, there'll always be a counter argument. I did think of like uh, going up to tourists on the grassy knoll and telling them if they have found new cell phone video that proves definitively that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. To see what their response is. Well, you'd get anyone a couple, would realize there were no cell phones. In you'd get a couple of you know, if you were if college kids were up there. Uh, I bet a, at least a third of them would say, "Really, really?" You know, they and, found and be interested to know yeah. more about it. Wow, you know, uh, they were from our, our esteemed university here, SMU. Um, I, I I think my first first visit to the sixth floor museum uh, is, when I looked out that window, I thought, "Oh yeah, he could have done it from here." Because when you look down from that window, it's not that far you know it's it's it, it it's not an impossible shot to make it's not three impossible shots to make and 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 the idea well, that chris there's a lot of experts who who uh would say yes yeah, but they got fat and happy off of that i mean that you know the people that's who what the warren confident. commission uh has, you you're agreeing with the warren i'm commission. essentially agreeing with uh, like yes of course he could have done it and he yeah. probably did and, yeah and that's probably what happened but but with all the with, with with all the 
the mountains of, of, of conspiracy theories and, and counter evidence will. I know. I mean, like if no, I if just, I they're going to have to accept that we that I may will walk never alone on absolutely this? no. I know. For sure, you can only believe what you believe, or just say, how can anyone really, really know? See, I accept that. What I don't accept is when I uh, proffer my opinion, which is that it's likely that he acted alone and there wasn't a conspiracy. People look at me and go, are you out of your fucking mind, really? You don't think that there wasn't a conspiracy to kill that man, that there wasn't triangulation and crossfire and there wasn't this and there wasn't that. And I'm like, you know, in all these years, wouldn't something definitive have fallen out of the tree? Well, let's just say this. Somebody knows or knew. Even if it was Lear Harvey Oswald himself, somebody knew the real absolute answer. And that brings us back to Jack Ruby. And we will, but we will never know who that somebody was. Yeah. Uh, whether it was Jack Ruby who died uh, uh, demanding to see that he would only open up to, to, to President Johnson. To, yeah. Uh, what, he, what he claimed to be startling information that he's never revealed about the assassination that only he, that he knows but he can't tell anyone but President Johnson. It sounds like the ravings of a madman. Well, but, it also sounds like... But, you know, he could have spit in Johnson's face if they just wheeled, wheeled him into President Johnson. You know, Johnson didn't want to see him. Oh, it's, right. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, he also could have had like a love message for Jackie O. Who knows? He might have been like, "Could you please get a word to Jackie?" He may have whipped it out. There's no telling. He may have said, "Nah, nah," you know, and, and wasted the president's the, the president's time. Or he may have revealed some bizarre, you know, alien. Uh, he was cancer stricken, and, yeah, and could have been delirious. And he was probably not of right mind anyway, since that the day he committed that um, shooting and um, everybody has to just uh, bite the bite the bullet bite the single and bullet not, and, and either believe what they want or, or yeah. realize they'll never really really yeah no eh, it's still a, a fascinating piece of history and to me you know this area is like a sacred spot in a way it's it is a sacred sacred spot of the United States and I'm glad that cooler heads prevailed in Dallas and said, no, we can't tear it out. We're not going to do that. People, you know, this is living history, uh, and we're not paving it over. So that I, I was glad that that very often cooler heads don't prevail, as you know. The hotter heads prevail. Sure. Um, I think it's better to have it here. I'm glad yeah. it's here. Yeah. But uh, the city of, of Dallas is People need to yeah. come here, and uh, they need to see it yeah. and to feel it. Uh, it, it, it uh, the people go to... Is, is Abraham Lincoln's um, uh, spot? Is that a museum? Uh, yeah, the Fort Theater is still there, right? They, you could so, still go oh, to I the Fort Theater and see I've what happened there. But it's all preserved. Is yeah. it there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So this is where even the bedroom across the street where he lingered until he is died. There, I where think. you could yeah, go, I think you can go and see that. Go see it. Yeah. All right. Well, this should, of course, this should be here, and here it is, and it'll always. I wonder how how long it will be here. Will it be here in another fifty years? Will people care? Uh, I think so. I really do. Hundred years from now, to have. I mean, it was such a dramatic event. I don't. I don't see it ever. You know, is I, it going to get bigger in history? Even is it going to become even more? Is it going to even be more coming out in the future when when secret files are finally re- revealed? When we're 
they have this thing now called the internet that will keep things like this alive forever so it will it will live forever on the internet if it doesn't live forever physically there'll always be you know somebody on the internet advancing their theories as to what happened and sharing information you know conspiracy buffs uh, this is their Thanksgiving Christmas uh, Easter rolled into one it's everything it's a feast for uh, it's a feast for them of um, and it's and it's frightening uh, and it you, happened three you, days before Thanksgiving, as a matter of fact, didn't if it? You, uh, 22nd, 22nd or 23rd, 23rd. Yeah. Uh, I guess it was right at that. It was right before time. Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. you know, I didn't even know who the hell he was. I was seven, eight years old, mm. seven or eight. But boy, you found out that day who he was, what was going Do on. Do you remember if, did your, I mean, your family gathered for Thanksgiving. Do you remember if it, if it put a parlor over the whole Thanksgiving dinner? You were, what, 10 years old at the time? Uh, uh, 63, uh, seven, seven. Seven years old? Going yeah. on, going on eight. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what Thanksgiving was like, but of course, you were, everybody remembers the day. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have known if you had asked me the day before who's the president of the United States. I would have gone humana humana. Uh, uh, you mean like President Washington? Or pre- I may yeah. not have even been able to say President Kennedy. I was in the beginning of second grade, but I kind of knew, and you kind of in the background would hear his name mm-hmm. or something. You know? Do you remember but, your mother weeping over it, or your father uh, being upset being about shocked, it? being yeah. profoundly shocked? My parents, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember remember if there was weeping going on in the house but certainly profound shock and and they were sick about it uh, they loved him yeah yeah my parents loved him uh, um, well te- I teachers it. crying in school uh, and then the te- you know three days of nothing on TV but commemoration of JFK uh, which was really weird. Were you watching uh, when when uh, Oswald got it on TV? Do I don't remember because I've seen it so many times that it, it was only be... two days later. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've seen it so many times that now I don't remember whether I would have been watching live. Probably not. Yeah. But you can't remember really. Yeah. You know, yeah. Did I see that as it was occurring? Mm. I doubt it. But yeah. it doesn't matter. You you get to see it. It's on video. It it could have very well gone on. Un- recorded it you know a quick slip from here to there you know getting him out of the courthouse that the fact that it's uh well i guess they they're going to record everything at that from that moment on but imagine if they had given advance notice and could have had uh you know uh stanley kubrick down here with cameras before the assassination to get wow yeah to set up uh you know a six camera shoot uh in advance i guess that would well, listen, be, let's go get something to eat now that we've talked about all this food. Did I'm you want to step on the grassy knoll? Uh, it's up to you. I mean, what do you think? you think a drive-by? Let's do it. You want to do it? It's it's 93 degrees outside. I don't know. I, I We can... It, it, it's, you're the... Hey, you're the the guy who is from New... You know, from up in New York here at Dallas that right. might want the... You, you say you have stepped on the grassy knoll before. I have. Before, so yeah, it's not a couple of times. My I've God, you've got to come knoll. out and uh, do this. But there it is. There are some tourists right now. There are some people standing in the middle of the street. Rush hour on a Friday night, 52 years later. And there are some people doing measurements, kind of walking, stepping to go behind the fence. Yeah, there's the quite a few people the, over there, you know, actually. There's, well, yeah. there's, uh, you know, a 
10, 10 or so people, it seems like, right in the... Uh, Let's do it in the car, because then it'll be like we're in the limo. <laughs> Where are these X's you told me about here? Where are those X's? They're coming up. I don't see them yet. Do they have to repaint the X's every year, every few years? Oh, wow. The X's, X's are gone. Are not, there's an X. There's one. All right, so there's one. It's okay. starting to fade. And now we're going under the underpass. The there's underpass. a triple under, famous triple underpass. We're under it right now, coming out on Commerce. And uh, so he was on his way to the trademark, and then they would have taken him to what what hospital? They took him to well Parkland Park Parkland course, Hospital. That's right. Of course, is still there, and it's now twenty hospitals. It's huge. Uh, the surgeon who worked on Connolly just died. And I the just, surgeon I just read who worked his obituary. on Kennedy, I think, just died too. Yeah, didn't he? If you'd like to go to a restaurant that would have been the and here are the courts and jail, public courts and jails, which he would have passed uh, back then. There's a, a if you're at, have you ever been to um, Sonny Bryan's? No. Sonny Bryan's? If I had, didn't go there with you, I'd never been there. Okay. Well. That's the Dallas original oldest barbecue joint that uh, certainly was there the day, you know, the day JFK was killed. If you'd like to stop there for sure. dinner yeah, instead yeah. of our regular Mexican joint. Let's do it. Uh, Sonny Bryan's is, they're like old school desks that you sit at in this funky room where they serve barbecue and they have been for probably over a hundred years. Do they have beer? Maybe not. Maybe not. I have. I try not to go there, except very rarely. Do you drink not, beer? Uh, Do you drink beer? No, I usually okay. have a whiskey or something. Okay, all right. Um, but um, they might have. They might have. Beer. I brought two beers with me. Okay, those are I, yours. I, I had them in the refrigerator at the hotel. Those are your your beers. But uh, Sonny Bryan's is um, the oldest barbecue joint. It's kind of shocking when you walk in, and it's probably the best in Dallas too. Uh, Dallas has a, has, a, has quite a few barbecue joints at this at this point, doesn't it? It's got well, uh, they, uh, you could like probably Nouveau barbecue. You could find better a better barbecue joint in New York, probably, really? unless you go to a place like the original Sunny Bryan's. Now, I'm not talking about. I think they chained it out a little bit. They have branches, right? Where they somebody's like like Nathan's, you know? Is it me or is Sunny Bryan's is like is to Dallas what Nathan's is to Brooklyn? Oh, uh, is it me or is Dallas getting bigger too? Though, because every time I come here, it seems to be spreading. The contagion well, of Dallas seems the to be DF, spreading. The, the Metroplex, the right. DFW Metroplex. That's Dallas to Fort Worth and everything in between, and blossoming out from it, which is not very nicely blossoming. In there, they're ugly suburbs and sprawl, and they're very efficient. But like anywhere else. Um, in America, uh, the, the sprawl keeps sprawling in a very ugly way. Highways keep going. But there's, is there no choice? I don't know. I don't know. We seem to be in some kind of antique district over here, whatever the hell this is. This What's is the design old... district? What is that? I keep reading about the design district. It's actually a great thing. The, the design yeah. district, which we're sort of on the one of, one of the edges of right now, are dozens and dozens of um, old warehouses in which they do photo shoots and shoot commercials mm -hmm. and I guess it includes clothing designers and fashion related um, 
So these places, are painting galleries. Right. Restu- uh, any restaurants, places to eat. There are actually old, some really old joints around here. That, eh, maybe not so good. Here's Gentleman's Club, King's Cabaret. That's a topless joint. Uh, and lots of, um, certainly lots of get-out-of-jail places. Because it's near dozens of uh, bail bondsmen around here. And still, I guess, related to furniture, design, all kinds of... A lot of the places are hidden down little streets, which are really cool. Um, I guess they call it the design district now. Where's the Trinity River, by the way? We've we've looked at a little river. um, It's like a trickle of a river. It's a trickle. Although I suppose every, if there are major floods, it can fill up pretty good, uh, and that runs right around that. It kind of, I consider Oak Cliff to be the Brooklyn of Dallas. Oak Cliff is like an, it's like another borough. Yeah, it's huge and it's much older and down home, and it's where Terry Southers from, and T Bone Walker and Stevie Ray Vaughan. They're from mm-hmm. Oak Cliff. It's kind of it's the Brooklyn of Dallas, and it's separated. By the Trinity River, yeah. um, um, which is a trickle of a river, but with all these overpass. Yeah. Uh, what was the place you took me to last time? Was it the ch- Chinese food or some kind of fusion place? I don't remember. What was the place? It with would have the, been an old place. It was, it was did I take a, you to Myers? It was Vietnamese? in a strip mall. It was Vietnamese. That's what it was. Vietnamese food. Yeah. It was good. Uh, it's good food. What neighborhood is this, by the way? This is Harry Hines Boulevard coming right into Oaklawn. It's the industrial boulevard. When I moved here in 87, it was filled with hookers. Uh, a mile of just wonder of hookers up and down. And in those few years, maybe because I got here, they got rid of got rid of all of it. Wow. Um, you, you moved to Dallas for love, right? I mean, most people move for love or a job. Was it a woman that, brought, that got you to Dallas? My wife, Peggy. Yeah. Was, that's the only reason I moved. Drive a cab. With. Otherwise, would you still be in New York? You think? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very glad I'm here. And it, after a, a one-month nervous breakdown, I loved it, and this became home. Probably oh, you were having culture be. shock? Oh yeah. Yeah. Big culture shock uh, in the first month I was here, um, because I left everything. Yeah. How would you, you know? And I was warned that it was. Uh, Nope, You're not nope. going to know anybody there. They're all bullet heads with guns, and you know you'll get strung up. You're Yankee from New York and everything, which of course it was couldn't have, couldn't have been further from the truth. Yeah. So it was a wonderful, exploding music scene when I first got here that I was able to join into. Uh, who, who did you get to see when you first got down here? Who were some of the people that you wouldn't have seen if you had stayed in New York, for instance? Is there any? Well, I remember my. F- first uh, week here, I got up on, I was just invited up on stage, which never happened in New York, a total stranger in town with a guitar, and it's from Sam Myers. Sam Myers was, was, um, uh, uh, um, Elmore James drummer, one of Elmore James's two or three drummers on a lot of the records, mm-hmm. and he became, he was a great blues singer who, at that time, joined up with a group called Anson and the Rockets, so it was... Anson and the Rockets featuring Sam Myers from Mississippi. Um, a guy from Mississippi who moved to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Died about 
he died at the age of 70 several years ago, um, I became pretty good friends with him because um, he felt like he was an outsider because he was from Mississippi, even though he was embraced here mm-hmm. in Dallas. The way I, I felt embraced. And um, it was a, a, a head-turning, a really, really a startling experience. The blues scene in Dallas and Austin particularly at that time was was just off the charts it was it was uh, very i don't think it was probably the healthiest time for blues mm-hmm. in, in history the whole blues revival that came out of texas in the 80s mm-hmm. particularly in austin but also in dallas and houston um uh all the groups that played antones in austin at that time um, Ronnie Dawson. Ronnie Dawson. Uh, absolutely brilliant rockabilly songwriter. The Blonde Bomber. The Blonde Bomber is what he was in the fifties when he was like, he had a regional hit when he was action sixteen, action packed when yeah. he was sixteen, and then became sort of a country singer and fell in the back. When he became, when he got into his sixties, he made a comeback is a rockabilly singer and was probably the best rockabilly performer singer in the, in, in the world um, I thought he wrote the most authentically 1950s 1950s songs that could have been written in the 50s and could have been hits in the 50s and he was writing them in the 80s and 90s better than anyone in the world I thought dozens of them yeah, I got Lee to Lewis see him stage. perform live many years ago, and, and it was I was quite impressed. You know, some of these old cats come out, and you're not impressed. You kind of wish they hadn't come out. He was, but brand, he was one of the he guys. He didn't really become Ronnie Dawson until he was in his sixties. Yeah, when he became uh, he went he you know he he became kind of a, a small phenomenon. Should have been a bigger phenomenon. Yeah, but talent wise, a big phenomenon. Like, there was that he, moment when, he, he like, Sleepy, Sleepy LaBeef became a thing again, right. and Hazel Atkins became a thing again, and suddenly you were appreciating these guys that didn't get the attention the first time around, maybe, you know, and they and they can go and fill a club, and you would go and see them, and you would enjoy it, you know? I thought uh, John, Ronnie Dawson was, uh, an extra, if, if anybody listening were to pick up any of the several albums he released in the 1980s, Monkey Beat was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're all like hits, should have been hit songs, right? Anyway, that's another uh, just one of many many people that I came into. Uh, but did it take you here in Dallas when I moved here? Did uh, it, it, it did it take you long uh, to realize that you were going to stay here? I mean, you showed up in 1987. Was it a year later? Were you still thinking of like, eh, maybe this is Texas no, is not where I'm going to by, by the by a year after after a few months, it became home. I'd say after four months or something. Mm-hmm. The first month, I sent for the moving truck to stop them bringing my stuff. You know, I had it brought back to New York after three days here. I I was able to get the moving truck with all my stuff. I stopped them in Virginia. I said, bring that stuff back. I don't care what it costs. Mm-hmm. And I had friends meet them at a storage bin in New York. I said, I'm, I'm not staying here. Yeah. I'm finished after three days. After that first rough bump month, everything changed, and I started to love it. 
and here you are nearly and now it's just 30 a, years later. They're almost 30 years later. Yeah. It's a, now it's just a, I raised a daughter. Yeah. Well, she's still being raised. She's in high school. Um, and now it's just a, a place to live. It's not like I'm personally active in the nightlife and right. the club scene and everything right now. I go out more. I could give a better tour of New York than I could of <laughs> Dallas by far. Now... I'm not out hanging out every night knowing all the current clubs and stuff, but I did in the 80s and 90s. But as someone who's written extensively about the New York I grew up in, you know, in Times Square especially, I mean, nowadays, even I feel alienated wandering through Manhattan. There, there, You know, I was recently down by the new Whitney Museum and to see that whole part of town and what the High Line has wrought and so on and so forth. There is this sense of, like, uh, you, you don't know what you're dealing with anymore and you don't know if... You know, it's just uh, as as people want to label it a playground for the uber wealthy. Now, now we're talking it's about not, billionaires grow Fifty Seventh Street. You know, it's not our city anymore. Yeah, we've lost. Uh, we've lost uh, uh, our empire. Yeah. However, there are still little elements left, even though they disappear by the month, if not the week. Yeah. And when I go to New York, and I say that there's not a a week or a month goes by where another great old place goes away or is destroyed by the real estate industry for rent. But I can still go to Chinatown late at night and feel like it's the 1930s. Mm -hmm. And I can still... I remember walking down Lexington Avenue on a Sunday uh, six weeks ago in the middle of the summer and it was empty on a Sunday. Lexington Avenue through Midtown, I didn't see... You know, there's one person per block, mm-hmm. and it, the sun was streaming down, and it, it was a clear, cool day, and I felt like I was in t- a timeless New York mindset for hours, um, and it felt like I was in New York, the way I think of New York, you know, my romantic vision of New York, but just for a few hours. What, so you what is your romantic me. vision of New York, by the way? I mean, when you think of New York, do you think of the music first? Do you think of the buildings? Do you think of the people? My New York is uh, is old Broadway, Schubert Alley, uh, old Times Tim- Square. Mm-hmm. Tin Pan Alley was way before our time. Right. The original Tin Pan Alley was in the 1920s, turn of the century, 19, yeah. up to the 1920s. But the Brill Building Tin Pan Alley, that was when we would have been very young but my New York is uh, the old Yankee Stadium mm. Bronx Lindy's the, uh, the old Madison Square Garden when I was a little boy going to the fights uh, Elaine's mm-hmm. which I happen to love regardless of what anybody else thinks I went there since I was a boy uh, I felt everybody was welcome there if they knew how to behave that's gone mm-hmm. um um, I I dream about old Penn Station. Ah, uh, from my childhood, I dream about it. Uh, it was like Mount coming into Mount Olympus. Um, I loved old. I loved Times Square in the seventies and eighties. Even though it was dangerous, I loved it. Uh, I loved the girls. I loved the. The sex, the hot, hot sex, just popping out everywhere. Thousand, a thousand chicks, you know, uh, when you're working for Screw Magazine at that time and yeah. covering it and everything. It was amazing. Uh, there was no AIDS. 
There was a lot like of places you could get fake ID. Life. Yeah. Oh well, the playlands, you know? all the playlands, right. uh, uh, um, provided ID to bring teenagers of age so they could drink. Um, I'm not approving of that as a father now. Yeah. Uh, my New York is. Uh, I'm sure it coincides with your New York. The old playlands, I love them. Hubert's Museum, Flea Circus. That's a little before my time, but I would have got there when I was very little. Um, I love the high, the Broadway theaters and I love the peep shows. Yeah. Both. Uh, now you still have the Broadway theaters. But not so much the peep shows. The gossip columnists. Mm. Uh, I love the idea of there being 10 newspapers coming out every day before until 1966. Mm-hmm. Again, I was, uh, I'm a little young for... For that, but I remember the Journal American and the Herald Tribune and all the papers that have gone and how they competed. Uh, I loved newspaper stands, and I loved uh, you could still get a hot dog on every corner in Midtown, and, mm-hmm. and I think you can still get chestnuts uh, roasting on an open fire at, at Christmas time. That's part of New York, too. Those are some. Yeah, elements of my New York. I'm sure there's some. Uh, they no, I, I listen. I, I remember. Too. You know, I remember uh, Times Square. I remember uh, coming in on a train from this from uh, Long Island. You know, I, I was on the South Shore. You were on the North Shore, and uh, I'm into the same place. Yeah, and then still and, take the Long Island Railroad. Right, and then once you were out of Penn Station, because it was always Penn Station, it was never Grand Central. You know, that was for right from Long Island. You come to Penn Station, right. And, uh, still and, do, unfortunately. And once you got out of there, it was just this miracle of sights and sounds. And it was like, everything was like a playland when you were a kid, uh, you know, uh, experiencing all of that. Because it was sensory overload. You, were, you didn't know where to begin. You know, where do we start? And uh, I still remember, the you know, the first time we, we uh, as, as teenagers, we got to Times Square, a friend of mine who was trying to score weed... Uh, getting his nose broken, getting punched in the face by some guy who just took his money and ran. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Isn't that what a treasured memory? What a treasured memory is right. And uh, but I remember my parents taking me into, and they still had the double decker cars on the Long Island Railroad. You know, you could. Uh, I remember you could ride that as a kid when yeah. I was little. I remember that, and that was fun. Yeah, and it rattled. Those, yeah. the Long Island Railroad was a really rickety railroad. And it went underground. Yeah. And I thought, and it went under the river, and it was scary. It was like a Coney Island spook house. Yeah. There was sparks outside, and, and it was darkness, and you were like in a tunnel under the river, emerging into the metropolis of Penn Station. Um, why can't that be there now? Why can't we have have that now, Penn Station, like that? Why can't you feel? Uh, everybody used to say you felt like a god coming into New York. Well, you know, everybody I, did because of the. The grandeur of, of the haven't they talked for years about the James Farley Post Office becoming yes, and the nothing new Penn has Station, and they, and they can't seem to get the money to get that off the ground? Is that the thing? It, it's uh, uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Maybe a little piece of it. Yeah, maybe a little piece of it. Um, I don't know up to the minute. Wasn't it going to be called Moynihan Station after Senate Senator Daniel, Daniel Patrick, Patrick Moynihan, Moynihan because it yeah. was uh, it came out of one of his plans. Uh, apparently the. The main post office across from today's Penn Station and Madison Square Garden was part of the complex built by the uh, 
by the great architects who built the original Penn Station in 1910. Mm-hmm. So you could take the post office and reconfigure it and have make it have some semblance of the original Penn Station for a billion dollars. This is Sonny Bryan's barbecue. And for people who don't know, the dis- destruction of, of Penn Station is what started the modern... You know, historic the preservation, landmarks began, began. We get back to Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis because wasn't she the one who saved Grand to, Central yeah. more than anyone probably? Right. Her influence. She it all in. comes back to the Kennedys somehow. Talk about conspiracies. Hey, um, what I want. I wish she had been around to save Penn Station, but nobody knew it was happening. It was done. Uh, uh, it was done secretly behind everyone without it you know, they would do little sections at a time and cover it up with big canvas this is in 1960 starting in 1963 64 mm-hmm. I believe um, little by little they would take down a little section and put covers all over everything so no one knew what was happening and then a few months later they take down another section and Oh, they did so it no piecemeal? Yeah, they I did it piecemeal that. secretly the way someone like Donald Trump knocks down an old building late at night before anyone can stop it. Well, yeah, Fred Trump, uh, his father came in and knocked down Steeplechase Park, right? Well, no one was watching. They they just sort of under cover of darkness right, or whatever. Sma- he smashed it and put project housing there. Right. Um, well, that's the way most great architecture and, and landmarks like should be landmarks are destroyed they do it like at three in the morning when you know they send in a demolition team to just explode it right and bring it down well and if you're ISIS you don't late. care what time of day it is you they are like the hell up. they are like ISIS right uh, um, it's it's happening now more than more than ever in New York City it is a form of just like what they're doing in the cities and Sir, what ISIS is doing in Destroying, it's it's cultural genocide on some level. I mean, it, you you're taking our history. You're taking the past away from the future, and it's really affecting. You know, I I, I uh, it's uh, I was reading this article the other day about some new crappy TV show that's set in the '60s that's being shot in New York, and the the location guy was saying, you know, we would go find a location of a building that's been there for a while that looks like it's something that would have you know we could have used, and we'd come back a week later, it'd be gone. They would have torn it down in the time since we had been there when we were planning all these shots. And that's like the pace of development in the city now. I'll tell you what, six weeks ago when I was in New York last, I went to see where uh, I went to to go to my um, I I have a Chinese masseur who I think is the best unknown masseur in the city. I've been seeing him for over 10 years. The guy is a genius, doesn't speak a word of English. He's in a little dive in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. He's got fans, people who come, you know, at all hours who know how great he is. But it's a cheap massage mm-hmm. by a guy who doesn't want to be known or doesn't want, he doesn't want to work on the New York Yankees or anything mm-hmm. uh, or a football team. He just wants to do his little, he has a little massage shop. And I, I, I never gave him my phone number. Like I said, he didn't even speak English. And every time I go to New York, first thing I do is I go down there. You don't make an appointment. He wants you to just show up. And mm-hmm. nine out of ten times you can see him right then. Or he'll say, come back in two hours. It was gone. Yeah. Uh, gentrification. The whole facade of this it was in between two buildings on mm-hmm. Mulberry Street in Chinatown. It was a little space with, like, they had, like, four or five massage people who worked in there, Chinese people. Mm-hmm. And it was now an apartment building and destroyed with a new entrance and these this guy is gone forever he probably went back to China pushed out 
by the rent by 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 an immediate rent hike, and that affects my life big time. I was I'm very disturbed and upset that I lost that guy because there's nobody as good, and it was sixty dollars for uh, no, it was forty two dollars for an hour plus a tip. If you got the best masseur in New York City, it would probably be three hundred dollars, and it wouldn't be half as good as what this guy was. But gentrification, uh, well, threw, the, you threw know, him out. You, get, you start getting into the you start this, getting into the whole apartment building knocked him down. You start getting into the whole you know inequality issue, wealth inequality, because to me that expression about good money pushes out bad. You know the, what goes on in in New York is that uh, you're forever surrendering yourself to people with far more money than you. You're forever surrendering whatever it is you love to people with much deeper pockets than you, and that's just the way it goes in New York. You know, again, 57th Street. I remember I almost moved to 57th Street. I was working for CBS News at the time, and there was a reasonable, reasonably priced apartment, and I thought, yeah, I could relocate and walk to work. And now they're just putting up these huge Now it's out of control. It's hyper-gentrification. Right. It was going on forever. You, you could say, yeah, 30 years ago it was happening too. Donald Trump was knocking down buildings and Zeckendorf was knocking down buildings. Right. Destroying working-class neighborhoods and turning. When I moved to Columbus Avenue in 19, when, 1977, I was 21 years old moving to my first apartment. It wasn't. In, it was in that year when they started destroying Columbus Avenue. Mm. By destroying, I mean they were throwing out Chinese laundries. Uh, old Italian vegetable stores that had been there for 50 years, Puerto Rican uh, working class families, and it, and turning those tenements into um, boutiques. Mm. The mm. rents were tripling. And that was in 1977. And I saw it happening before my eyes. And of course, people like Donald Trump and Harry Helmsley and Zeckendorf were also taking over working class neighborhoods, knocking down beautiful old brownstones and putting up these ugly towers. With with uh that was going on then, but now it's happening at a hyper pace. Yeah. Yeah. Um faster than ever. Every week something's closing. Yeah. The Edison Cafe with my favorite the last place in Times Square where local people could have sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk at a table and get a pastrami sandwich or, right and uh an old ghetto menu, uh, affordable. Uh, when that went down six months ago, um, that was sickening. Yeah. And that's because the owner of the Hotel Edison, the new owner, who was the son of the old owner, decided he wanted a nouveau riche restaurant, the same as 10,000 other places with some celebrity chef to come in. It'll last a year and then, and then become a, a drugstore or something. And meanwhile, this wonderful play, old place, the Edison Cafe, is gone. And there's not one restaurant that I know of in Times Square that I could go to now. Sardi's, maybe, late at night. Yeah. But the Edison was like the only place for local people, and for Broadway I was workers. at the I was at the Edison quite a few times, you know, and enjoying a reasonably priced lunch in... In uh, interesting surroundings, and you know it is, and and you feel helpless when stuff like this happens because there's no amount of protesting that's going to change this guy's mind. Is that you know he's obviously somebody who it's a done deal. Yeah, it's a done deal. So and why did they close? Because the rent was going up from whatever forty thousand to eighty thousand or something. They were doubling or tripling, gouging him out. Um, 
this this humble place for for real authentic New Yorkers who live and work there in the theater business especially. You could sit you could sit at a table for two hours with just a a, a, a pot of coffee and they and they were fine with it. There's nothing like that. Well, I also just witnessed the closing of the last music store on 48th Street. You know, Rudy's Music Stop, and and, and that is now... 48th Street doesn't have a music store on it anymore. When I was a kid, you could go from one store to the other. Right, it's where you got your guitars. uh, There were were 100,000 guitars on that block. And now it's just been decided that that's prime real estate, and fuck you and your musical instrument needs is basically what it comes down to. You want musical instruments, go to 14th Street. They have them there. Yeah, that yeah. whole the uh, Sam Ash Manny's right, uh, the Electro Harmonic store, all they the, the other stores that store. have been there since for since starting in the 1920s. Yeah, that was the Music Row for New York, and now it's completely over. It's gone. I don't think yeah. I don't think there's even one place left, and there won't a be a plaque repair. either. No one's going to put up a plaque saying this is where you used to come to shop for musical instruments. You don't need a plaque. You need to have all those stores all together. And yeah, it's just gone forever. And all the little repair shops upstairs. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Where you can get your accordion fixed. And, yeah. Any instrument, you name it. Right. Not to mention the guitar oh. shops. Well, that's that's old news. That's gone. Yeah, yeah. That's gone. yeah. Disappearing. It's all disappearing. We gotta end this on an upbeat note before we go eat some hey, barbecue. Sonny what's Brian's the, Smokehouse. What's uh, the upbeat note as far as you're concerned? Since 19, this place has survived. Yeah, they're not tearing this down anytime soon, right? God no. Yeah, they better not. Okay, this is this should be landmark. It looks like they actually expanded it at some point, right? It looks like a, a new section and an old section. Yeah, I think they expanded it in the 1950s. Okay. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go inside and eat something, man. Let's, let's uh, do it, man. Yeah. Thanks for doing let's this. Let's do it.